lesson on Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. He's such a unique character in the Bible. Um, and it, in, in a lot of ways, he is the harbinger of Jesus Christ. He is the, 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 the shadow or the, the, the thing that kind of, there's the shimmer of Jesus in Joseph's life. And we'll connect all those dots at the end of our series. Our last lesson will be a lesson on Joseph and Jesus, and which is a fascinating seeing all the, the dots that connect between the two. Um, but what is, what is very encouraging is this whole story, and uh, it's very inspiring as well. And uh, last week, we covered that Joseph was purchased as a slave. He was sold. God, God protected Joseph by allowing him to be sold into slavery, which is amazing. Uh, and, and often we see that while his brothers meant for him to die, God intervened and put him in a pit. And for us, I mean, uh, not that Joseph is a perfect type of our life, but there's times where you know, we face a dire situation. Uh, uh, we might call it a pitiful experience or some kind of a, uh, a deep valley in our life. But perhaps, maybe, and we can trust the Lord with this, that God is preserving our life by allowing us to go through the pit. For the pit, for Joseph, the pit was his salvation. He didn't know this. And I don't know if he ever knew this, really. The Bible never indicates to us that Joseph ever got the, the aha moment, like, oh, you were going to kill me, and instead you threw me in a pit, so I was actually saved by the thing that I was upset about. Um, and oftentimes, we, we may never know. There's an old song that says, we'll understand it better by and by. Um, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home, we'll, we'll understand it better. We'll look back over the trials and the valleys of life and go, Oh, okay. I didn't have to pull my hair out uh, over that. I, I really could have just trusted God. And, and not that we're going to get to heaven and have these regrets. I think there's something wonderful awaiting us on that side that we're not going to look back with shame and regret over the years that were spent. We're going to thank God for his grace that saw us through every circumstance and every situation. And so for Joseph... He was thrown into a pit, but it was his salvation. Now, I, I've heard preachers preach the message that, that while uh, Joseph was put into a pit, it was Judah that pulled him out. And so they connect the word Judah to the word praise, which Judah does mean to praise God. And so your praise will bring you out of the pit. But let's not forget, Judah was also the one who encouraged him to be sold into slavery. So I... I don't know if that illustration connects too well because if your praise gets you out of the pit, it also sells you into slavery. So you've got to be careful making too many connections. See? You can go through and, and, and observe Scripture in some ways, but if you get too uh, trigger-happy with your, your Strong's Concordance Dictionary, you can read things into the Scripture that aren't really there. Um, so, you know, just because Judah's name means praise doesn't mean that praise will get you out of a pit. Now, if we want to talk about that, we can use other scriptures that will help us with that, with that understanding. Because it's true. If you praise God in the middle of your circumstances, it improves your outlook. It improves your mental thing. Uh, and I believe there's a reason why praise is supposed to be an action, not just a passive expression. Because even 15 minutes of sustained movement, uh, medical science proves that endorphins are released into your body. That is the happy hormone that helps you to reason and, and make sense of things and brings calm and, and peace to your mind. So I think praise is supposed to be active. It was meant to be an active expression of worship. And whatever your active is, it's different for everybody, but... But praise is something that will bring you out. However, we've got to be careful not to be too trigger-happy with the, the Strong's words and too reading into, well, this is Joseph, so this is me. But I think we can look at Joseph's life and say, you know what? He was saved from a worse situation yes. 
by being right and, and and even in this case we can see the hand of god working through corrupt humanity yes. which is another thing we look over and we say man how how is god working through the corrupt governments of our day but here god was in the middle of this what we look here and we see we see the hand of god and i love why the, sometimes the bible gives us that bird's eye view we are we are the, the storyteller. We're, we're listening to the narrator narrate the story, and we get a perspective the, the characters never get, right? We get that perspective of God looking down at this situation. And here is Joseph. He's thrown into a pit. His brothers wanted to kill him, but something changes their mind just a little bit, just a little bit. Let's throw him into the pit and leave him there. Because remember, if you remember from last week, they wanted to cut his throat. And one said, you know what, let's not get blood on our hands. Let's leave him in the pit to die on his own. So we didn't kill him, but they did. And then eventually they said, you know what, we don't actually want to be, we don't want to be passively responsible for his death. Let's sell him into slavery. And then whatever happens to him is his fault. He didn't obey. He didn't measure up. That's on him. That's not on us. Uh, we just want to get rid of him out of our lives. So even through their corrupt thinking, God was working his plan to actually save them, to save them in the end. So we see if God can use the corruption of man to work his plan. I mean, think of the cross. Did God come up with the idea of the cross? No, that was the corruption of sin, the depravity of humanity to inflict that kind of punishment on somebody. But God took what mankind fabricated in his broken sinfulness and said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll manipulate it enough <laughs> to get on that cross myself and inflict upon myself the worst kind of punishment that man has ever known to pay for the price and the, the sins of mankind. So God is capable of handling the corruption of our world and still working his perfect plan in the midst of it. Amen. Which is a, an amazing thing. I, I almost said a beautiful thing, but I, I don't know if I can put the word beautiful on that. I can just say amazing. that's amazing, really, that God could even take this broken, twisted idea of killing your own brother to, and selling him into slavery as a, a means of salvation for them in the end. The Lord was with Joseph. This is the other thing I like to point out. When you're faithful to God, he'll be faithful to you. Faithfulness to God never, God will never be in debt to anybody. If you give him your heart, if you give him your life, he will, he will take care of you. He will take care of you. Now, uh, a lot of times we need to apply the whole word to our lives. We need to apply all of scripture in every area for all of the blessings of God. You know, some might say, well, you know, I've, I've uh, been very faithful in my giving and very faithful in this and very faithful in my tithings and, and just things are not working out financially for me. But then you look back at their financial records, you go, well, you have lots of credit card debt and lots of needless spending so you got to apply the whole of scripture right, right? you got to apply the principles of, of of saving and 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 not overspending and these are all you see the bible doesn't just talk about giving when it refers to money it refers there's a lot the bible has to say about finances applying the whole of scripture to your life you know you might say well i, I don't call people names and I'm, I'm very careful with my words. Why don't people like me? But then you look at their life and there's, there's a lot of, maybe not name calling, but passive aggression. And you know what I mean? You, have to, you can't just say, well, I'm a Christian and I do these good things. Why isn't my life blessed? I've got to apply all of the word of God to my life. And, and I, uh, like I said, I, we can't be perfect, right? We can't, we can't have it all together. So the, the Lord does step in and fill in the gaps for us from time to time. But, but we got to endeavor to be students of the word. we got to be ever growing. The point I'm trying to make here is don't stop your growing. 
don't stop your growing. Don't get to a place in God where you say, well, I'm, I'm doing it all. You know? You, probably not, okay? We've we got to apply all of the word to our life and constantly be willing to grow. The Lord was with Joseph. God was with him. Wherever Joseph was placed, the Bible shows us that he succeeded and became successful. And so what was the secret to Joseph's success? What was the, what was the, the, the catalyst that helped make him so prosperous? And we'll see some of those things that, that, that rise to the surface in Joseph's life. Um, some of those principles Joseph obviously lived by um, that became part of his leadership style, it became part of his, the choices that he made. Um, and, and that, I think, is what we can emulate, what we can strive for, and what we can pattern our own lives after. Um, when you strive to please God, when you strive to live with God and do the will of God, there will be a blessing in that, that doing the will of God. Um, Psalm 37 gives us some, some basic instructions of, of living for God. I mean, there, there's lots of scriptures that give basic instructions, but here's some. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. We already talked about that. Here's Joseph thrown into a pit, but somehow he trusted in the Lord. He, he had confidence in God. The Bible also tells you to delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37 tells you to delight yourself in the Lord. Take delight in God and his word. And the Bible also tells you in Psalm 37 to commit your way to the Lord. So trust is something you do with your heart. Delight is also something that comes from the heart. It's something you love, you crave for, you, you seek after. But committing is something you do with the mind. It's, it's a commitment of your mind. It's a decision you make choices. I'm going to, when I don't feel the delight, I'm going to go with what I've committed to. Because you, let's be honest, you won't always delight in the Lord. You won't always feel the delight of serving God. But that's where you lean on your commitment. You, you won't always delight in the Lord and you may not, you may struggle to trust. So take it a step further and commit your way to the Lord. And then when all else fails, the Bible says, be still before the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Take the time to sit in the presence of God and just be still. Be still. Wait on the Lord. Entangle yourself with him. And these are the ways that we can, we can follow after God. Joseph was sold into slavery, and we found that when he arrived in Egypt, he was about 17 years old. The Bible actually tells us his age. And so we'll, 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 we'll see what this 17-year-old does with this predicament he's in. Genesis 39, verses 4 through 6. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time he made an overseer in his house until over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. This is, by the way, a man by the name of Potiphar. Joseph is placed under the care of a man by the name of Potiphar. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in the house and the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge because he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. The Bible says Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. The Bible also tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And the words that are used there in the original Hebrew is the word with means bunched together. Joseph and God were bunched together. They were a package deal. When Potiphar got Joseph, he got God. Because they were bunched together. It was two for one. And what a deal that was. Right? Everything he touched 
prospered because God and Joseph were a bunched together package. That's why we talked about trusting, delighting, committing, and being still with the Lord. Bunch yourself together with God. Find ways to, to include God in every part of your day. Find ways. Talk to the Lord. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. And what that means is just to talk to the Lord throughout your day in prayer over what is going on in your life. And, and it's good to make a habit of a prayer time. But that prayer time should be kind of like you do with your spouse. You get up in the morning and if you have the luxury to, you have a coffee together, you have a connecting time, and uh, you know, just talking to one another and starting the day off that way and then throughout the day there's check-ins right and not that's not really the luxury at our home um, with three children that most of the time when they've gone to bed at their regular bedtime like to wake up at five um, in the morning so uh, that being said they go to bed at seven ish so there's a trade-off right either get your mornings or your evenings it's one or the other for parents so for for us it's the evening so uh, when 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 we have that luxury of, of connecting times, it's nice because it makes the rest of the connections throughout the day better, right? And that's, that's the ideal. That's, that's, that, and this is what it is with Joseph. He was bunched together with God. There was that commitment with him and the Lord that was there all the time. And so when Joseph went somewhere like Potiphar's house, he, he had this bunched together factor, if you will, added to his work, whatever he did. Now, according to Genesis 37, two, Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. By the time he made it second in command to Pharaoh, the Bible says he was 30. So when he got into Egypt, he was 17. When he became second in command to Pharaoh at the end of the story, he's 30 years old, according to Genesis 41, 46. That means he was in Egypt for 13 years, right? The Bible tells us that he was two to three years in prison by the story. So he was in Potiphar's house for 10 years. At the very least, 10 years. Now, that to me, knowing that, brings another dynamic to this whole story. Because Joseph spends 10 years in Potiphar's house before he has a run-in with Potiphar's wife. Ten years. So he, he spends this long time, this long period of time in Potiphar's house, becoming prosperous, rising in rank, because he didn't start off at the top when he got there. He probably started as a, uh, the grunt slave, but he worked his way up. God was with him. So everything he touched, everything he was in charge of, he did well in until he became the second in command in Potiphar's house to where Potiphar, all that he ever worried about was what am I going to eat for supper today? What am I having for breakfast? What am I having for lunch? I don't have to worry about anything. Joseph takes care of it all. And I trust Joseph. So you can imagine, you know, put that into perspective to your job. You spend 10 years in a place and you start low and you work your way right up to the top. In our human mind, it would be very easy for us to go, well, I've arrived. I am now, God has blessed me. I am in the dream job. You know, and that pit all of a sudden is like, you know, this isn't so bad. I, that, I'm not close to my family, and that stinks. I miss my, my father, but, but man, look at the success. Look at the favor God has given me here. God is with me. And, and you, you think, well, this is my permanent career. Joseph might have even been thinking, this is my permanent career for the rest of my days. And I am satisfied and happy to be here. But God has bigger plans. And it came with a visit to the devil's pawn shop. And by the way, God will always allow us to visit the devil's pawn shop, whether we want to or not. The devil's pawn shop is one of those things that's on wheels. It's, it's not a fixed location. He's a traveling salesman. And so in the story, Joseph is now 10 years in. 
And Potiphar's wife begins to notice Joseph. She begins to notice him. And she begins to make her moves on Joseph. In Genesis chapter 37 or 39, verse 7, the Bible says, After a time, his massive wife cast her eyes on Joseph. I mean, I just spent the last four days, three, three and a half days, fishing with my boys, with my father-in-law. We went up to the cottage that his friend has, and we were there, lovely time. And we did lots of casting our, our lures into the water and catching lots of fish. And we had a great time. And so I like the wording here. The Bible says she cast her eyes on Joseph. Just like, I'm, and that's the, exactly what I'm thinking. I'm just, and, and you know, it's not like she just looked at him, but she, she looked at him. She gave him the look. She batted her long eyelashes his way. You know, she gave him that, that, that sideways glance, that notice, you know, through the corner, that corner of the, the corner of the lip smile, you know, just the all the little things, the little flirts, the little things that that would signal to Joseph, why is she looking at me like that? What's she what's she trying to do? After many years of success and prosperity, there comes a point where Potiphar's wife begins to make her moves on Joseph. And we can speculate as to why and all of the the things that were going on for her and her house and her home and maybe Husband was so busy, he never took time to notice her, so she found her need to go elsewhere. We don't know. That's all speculation. But the Bible does make it clear that she had it out for Joseph, and she was not a woman of integrity. She was kind of like the woman in Proverbs that the Bible tells you to avoid and stay away from. That her lips are as sweet as honey, but they'll take you right down to the pits of hell, to the grave. Um, they're, 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 you know, she, she has that, that beautiful appearance, that, that, that uh, longing in her eye, but what's on the inside is corruption and death and, and everything you don't want to be part of. But I love how here he is 10 years in, and this is the thing that just kept sticking to me when I was reading through this and studying this. He's 10 years in, and then he gets tested. He's 10 years in. Because in my, my and I, this is God, right? This is my way of doing it is, no, see, I do my tests and then I, I, I get promoted, right? I go through my tests at the beginning. Grace just finished, Adam just finished exams. You're finished, right? Okay, so most of the high school kids are finished their exams, right? And, and so you've done your exams and now you're being promoted to the next thing. But in this case, Joseph was promoted and then he was tested. I think God does things backwards on purpose sometimes. Jesus is famous for the, you know, everything in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is upside down. Love your enemy. Be good to those. Everything's upside down and backwards. God promoted Joseph and then he tested him. And, and isn't it true? We see, uh, we, we've, you've heard the expression, how the mighty have fallen. Because I think God often promotes and then tests and then tests now the test will determine if you go to the next level right obviously but in this case you think joseph was now at the place where he's like well i'm 10 years in i've i've been promoted to the highest rank i can I'm, i've arrived there's nothing else to worry about he could really allow his integrity to slide well, i deserved this I'm not going to get this myself. She's casting her eyes on me. Maybe we can keep this a secret and develop a little extra thing on the side. It would have been very easy for Joseph to develop an attitude of pride and say, look how far I've come. I, I deserve this extra thing. And maybe it's humans that are backwards, not God. Maybe we're the backwards ones. Amen. And God's the one who actually has it straight, but we have it twisted around. You see, when we think that perhaps when things are well, we can relax, take it ease, right? Jesus told the parable of the rich man. 
who he had increased in goods and wealth, and he said, Soul, take your ease. You've worked hard. Build more barns, and then you can eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord said, You're a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then what, who's going to take your barns? What have you really amassed for yourself? Uh, personally, I've, I remember... When my, I, I worked for my dad. Right out of high school, I worked for my dad. He was landscaping, and his business seemed to be very secure to me, and uh, things were going well. And yes, there was ups and downs. There was, I heard of the ups and the downs, so I knew when things were well and when things weren't. But, you know, they pulled through downs before, so they were going to pull through downs again. And for me, I, I never felt the, the fear of, how am I going to provide for my family? Because in my head, well, my dad's job is always there. And if I launch out and do ministry and, and stuff, that, that's okay because I can always get a job. And my dad, if I go out and get a job somewhere else and it doesn't work out, I can try this thing here, I can try this thing there. That's okay. I have my safety net. Tom's landscaping. It's my safety net. I never thought that God would remove that safety net. Mm -hmm by taking my dad home. Never thought. And then all of a sudden, Tom's landscaping isn't there anymore. And I, it was a big wake-up call for me to be like, your hope and trust is not in the things of this world. You can get a secure job. You can get a job with the securest of secure companies on the market. And that can go up and smoke tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You can have the pension and the CPP and the, all, the, all the things. And tomorrow they can send you notice saying, sorry, we're out of money. It's over. The bank's calling all the notices in. It's defaulting. And we go, What? So what's the secret? Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. The only one who is truly secure in all of this is the Lord. He's been there when there were no banks to speak of. He was the one who deposited the gold and the iron ore in the mines in the first place. He's the one who puts the jewels and the rubies where they are in the earth. And he's the one who, like, he's the one you can put your confidence in. We have a backwards way of looking at it. When things are going well, we relax. But if we look at this, and we look at other scriptures like 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The moment you think things are going well, I'm standing, I'm moving, the Bible says take heed. Be careful. Because this is your opportunity to be tested and to fall. It's not when things are going bad that you're at your weakest point. Often when things are, at your, when are going bad... You've prayed more than you ever prayed in your life. You found the time that you said you didn't have before. All of a sudden, prayer became the priority. Funny how that happens, right? But then things ease up, and prayer descends on the priority list again. That's just a human trait. That's not a. If you're feeling convicted or condemned by that, don't worry. You're in this. You're in the boat with everybody else in the room. We've all done that, and maybe do that. It's just a human condition thing. And all you got to do is go, oh, yep, that, that's true. Okay, let's, you know, let's flip the list again. Let's remember we do things backwards. We don't do things God's way. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy the blessings of God when, we, when they come. That doesn't mean you can't be, be thankful for the things that come your way when they come your way. But they, they, they cannot be the thing that replaces your walk with God. God is faithful and will help you overcome the temptations when they come. God will walk with you through the trials. 
God will walk through you through the uncertainties. And you'll come out on the other end. And things may not go the way you thought they would go. They may not pan out the way you dreamed they would pan out. But God will take care of you. God will take care of you. But sure enough, you can count on it. Temptation is going to wait for you at some stage in your walk with God. God promises you two things with temptation. Every temptation that comes your way, he'll give you the ability to withstand it, to resist it. And with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. He'll give his children the power to withstand and to escape. Sometimes the only way out of a temptation is to run and to escape. Uh, a preacher once told me that, that here's how you deal with the devil. This is how you deal with the devil. When he tempts you, the Bible says to resist him and he will flee. And if what you're, flee, what you're feeling does not flee, it's not the devil, it's your flesh. And so the Bible tells you that if your flesh is tempting you, you're the one that has to flee. If it's the devil tempting you, the Bible says resist him, withstand him, and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if you're facing a temptation that comes your way and you resist it, say, no, in Jesus' name I will not do that. No. And the temptation does not flee from you. It was not the devil tempting you. It was your flesh. If it's your flesh tempting you, the Bible says, flee youthful lusts. You flee. It's, it's a great litmus test. Resist it, and if it doesn't go away, that's your signal. You've got to go away. You've got to leave that thing behind, whatever it is. Joseph, one thing he did that I think is a key to his success, he built hedges in his life. He built hedges. What are hedges or fences? They define your boundaries. They define your space. A hedge on a property defines what is my yard and what is yours. And often there's a gate in the hedge, right? But the gate can be closed or it can be open. Joseph built hedges in his life. He let certain people in and he kept certain people out. Because that's what a hedge is for. A hedge is designed to give you control of who's allowed into your space. That's what boundaries are for. And boundaries are good, by the way. Yes, it's good to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not available. And if the other person's not okay with that, that's not your problem. That's their problem. No, I'm sorry, I, I'm busy that day. And that, that other person puts up a fit or withdraws or tries to punish you passive-aggressively. You can really let go of the obligation you might feel to, oh, well, let me change my schedule. <laughs> what you're essentially saying is, let me break down the hedge in my life and let you just trample in on my space and my time. But a boundary will say, no, sorry, this is not available to you at this time. Now, uh, I do have some time a little bit later today. Maybe we could, maybe we could you know, collaborate on that or work together. And if they're not okay with that, well, then when, when is a good time for you? And then you try to make it uh, uh, until you find a place where there is a space in the hedge that you've allowed and they're okay with. And some people don't like boundaries because they don't have boundaries themselves. Right. Now, this is not a lesson on boundaries. It's just kind of an, uh, an aside. But Joseph had boundaries in his life. And it's clear from Scripture that he built those boundaries very firm. They were not movable. Listen to his boundaries. Genesis chapter 39, verse 8. He refused and said to his master's wife, she was making her advances on him, come and lie with me. And he refused and said, because my master has no concern about anything in the house and has put everything he has in my charge, 
He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. Joseph says, there are, there's a boundary around this relationship with me and, and my boss. He's given me access to everything in the house, and I'm going to build a boundary to protect that by not touching you. You are his wife. And then he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph recognized, I am where I am not because of myself, but because I am a two-for-one deal. You get me and you get God. And if I can know that through the whole time, all 10 years, that's what I love about Joseph, all 10 years with all of his success, he's going, thank God, wow. God, you did it again. I love working with you, God, man. You look, make me look amazing. You make me look good. I like working with you, God, right? Because all anybody else can see is Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. But Joseph is going, no, 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 God, no, God. We know who's really setting this up, who's making me look good. It's not me. It's not me. And can I just tell you, if you see any good in pastor, it ain't pastor. Really, it's not. It's really not. I mean, if, if, if you were left me to myself without God, it would just be an empty shell. It's, and I'm not saying that to be overtly modest or whatever. I'm just saying I know enough about me to know that within me dwells no good thing. Amen. And I think we can all, if we could just get okay with that, Okay with, you know what, I, I mess up and I flub up and I make lots of mistakes. But God somehow makes everything okay. Amen. I mean, just look at how God talked about Abraham, right? Turn to Romans and listen to how God talks about Abraham. Read through the book of Romans and listen to how God talks about him. Like he's the flawless cat's meow. Like he is just never wavering in his faith, never make a mistake, just constantly, just solid man. But then you read the book of Genesis and you're just like, what? Same guy? Really? I mean, he sleeps with his handmaiden because his wife told him so. And then his wife gets mad at him for doing it and so he kicks her out of the tent. That's not like today where she could just find a hostel to live in or a, a homeless shelter. Like she's out there with nothing. She's dying on the desert sand and God sends an angel with some water to provide for her son so he doesn't die in, the, in uh, a heat stroke. Like just, this is the Abraham, right, that never wavered in his faith, that lied about who his wife was so that she wouldn't get taken by, by uh, the, the kings in Egypt and, and all this. Like, I mean, Abraham's life was full of mistakes and waywardness and questions, just like all of us. But when, by the time God gets to Romans, he looks back at Abraham. And because the Bible says Abraham was, it was imputed unto him righteousness. God did not count Abraham as righteous. He counted Abraham's faith as enough righteousness to gloss over all of the pits and the... It, it, it's the covering of God's righteousness. And this is what was going on. When Joseph was covered in God's righteousness. And, and, and he says, how can I do this great wickedness against God? God has put me here. I can't just go take whatever candy's on the table. I just can't eat from the fridge like I own the place. I can't just sleep with the, with the master's wife just because I've, I've arrived. No, I'm, I'm here on loan. I'm here as an emissary of God. But we got to start looking at even our jobs as kingdom jobs. How do I have a kingdom mindset when I'm thinking of my employment or even my home, my neighborhood? I look at my neighborhood, my job, my, the grocery store I shop at, the, 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 the vacations I go on. Everything I do, I, I need to learn. I'm not saying I do this perfect. I'm just saying this is what I, 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 I strive for when, when I'm... When I'm reminded of this, I strive to think, okay, I'm here because God has me here for his kingdom's purpose. 
I'm here as an emissary of the Lord. The Lord and me are bunched together. So everything I do, I do in the name of Jesus. That's what the New Testament teaches us. Everything I do should be done in Jesus' name so that, that God can get the glory out of whatever it is that I'm doing. we got to strive for that. That's, that's got to be our goal, our aim. We strive for the mark, the prize, the high calling of Christ. Joseph had a tremendous respect for his master, a respect for his position, and he had devotion to God. He had good boundaries. So he said no to Potiphar's wife. And she didn't like that. She, she didn't like that. Now, what I like about the story as well is that the Bible says she spoke to Joseph day after day, verse 10. Every day, Joseph came into work and she spoke to her, him. But he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Notice that. Joseph made a point to schedule his day so he would not be resting when she was resting. And she would not, he would not be in the same room with her. He, she had to work hard to find him. If you're struggling in an area of temptation, you've got to make it hard for the temptation to find you in a place where you're resting. You should not be resting where your temptation is resting. You've got to make it hard for the temptation to get to you. That's what Joseph did. He made it difficult for Potiphar's wife to, to be near her. But eventually, inevitably, you will come face to face with that temptation. You can't run forever. They say you can't run forever. You can run, but you can't hide. And that's the way with temptation. Temptation will find its way in. One day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there, she caught him by the garment. And temptation does do that. It does catch you by the garment sometimes. It does come upon you suddenly when you have the perfect means and opportunity and place and and the Bible says, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Can we put this in a modern day context? All right? Never before has, and this is maybe the easiest to make this application to, but let's talk pornography, for example. Okay? It's been ne never been more easier to look at. So Jesus said, if, you're, if your right hand offends you, you've got to cut it off. So whatever it is that is your right hand, whatever it is the easiest accessible, you've got to make a, a break in your life. You've got to make it difficult. Well, how do I do that? Well, one practical way is to install things like covenant eyes on all your devices, your mobile things, because it monitors everything you do. And then you've got to make it difficult for you to, to, to get on to the... That, that makes you now accountable to somebody else. So that's pretty detracting. That's a pretty strong detractor. Wintation creeps up on you in, 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 the, in the evening times or in the lull and the resting times, and you know, okay, I could, but then it'll show up on my accountability report, and I'll have to give an answer for what I've, what I've looked at, right? So that huge detractor right there, that helps to put space and distance between you and your temptation. But there'll come a time when, when you and temptation will just be in the same room, and there'll be the perfect opportunity, the perfect time, and the perfect motive. What do you do? You've got to put your garment down, leave your phone behind, leave your computer behind, and walk out the room. You got to, you see, I'm using this as probably the easiest example to, to encapsulate in this to make the application, right? But you, you apply that to whatever it is that you struggle with. If it's gossip, you've got to make it difficult for you to get trapped into a gossiping conversation. But when it does come, and it will, you've got to lead the conversation. You gotta walk away. You gotta depart from evil. You gotta run from that temptation. What is it that is 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 your Potiphar's wife? What is what is the Potiphar's wife in your life that beckons to you, casts their eye on you, and it's different for everybody? What is the main struggle? My dad uh, drank lots of alcohol when he was a young man, and so when he came to the church. God delivered him and everything, but he would tell me it would be we'd be working together outside, and it would be a hot, hot day. My dad would look at me and say, "Son, I just want you to know, I could go for a cold one right now. I could just go for a cold beer." If 
But for him, that was a, that was a slippery slope to a place he did not want to go. So dad, dad even, I remember us going to Applebee's for the first time when it opened, and he was just squirmy. Like eventually he got okay with it. But the, the, the experience of the bar is there and the dining room is here, there was, a, there was some tension there for him. And, and we worked through it. He wasn't obviously going to go to the bar with me and my mom sitting right there, but there was some accountability to hold him to. But all of that was, was very fresh and alive, and it, it never really went away. There was, always, there was always a Potiphar's wife in the other room that was, I'm here when you're ready, right? And no doubt there were moments where he had to, I have to just get out. I just have to go, you know? If he was with the guys at the end of the day or whatever, if they were at a barbecue, I remember there was a, a guy, Wayne, used to work for, for us. And if they would have a, a, a company barbecue, Wayne, he was a drinker. He loved his beer. He would rip it out. And Dad, would, his mouth would water. He was telling you, Wayne pulled out the beer, and that, that looked really nice with that hamburger. Really good. Looked good. Right? But for him, it was a no-go zone. No-go zone. What did he, I'm just, I'm belaboring this, but I'm trying to make the application for you so you can apply this to your own. What are the Potiphar's wives in your life that you've got you've to make those strong boundaries and say, this temptation is probably never going to go away. How am I going to coexist with this temptation? How am I going to learn to resist and flee? And Joseph learned to resist and flee. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10.14. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this that craving some have wandered away from the faith, has pierced them with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. You've got to replace the temptation with something else. Notice in all these scriptures, it's encouraging you to flee, it's encouraging you to resist, but also encouraging you to replace You've got to replace what you're fleeing with something meaningful. God will always provide the way of escape. What was the lie? The lie was that lying with Potiphar would be okay. That just once would be okay. That was the lie. Joseph refused to believe the lie. And what, what this story teaches us here is that even in this moment, because you look at this and you go, well, Joseph was victorious, man. He's going to be celebrated. He's going to be rejoiced over. But in this case, Potiphar's wife turned on him and said, well, he tried to rape me. He tried to take advantage of me. And Potiphar believed his wife over Joseph. And Joseph was then thrown into prison. Imagine Joseph's mind state for a minute. He worked from the pit, right, to slavery, from the pit to Potiphar's house, then from Potiphar's house for 10 years, a loyal servant, now all of a sudden in prison. Even when doing the right thing, it's not a guarantee that bad things won't happen to you. Just because you made the right choice doesn't guarantee, doesn't seal your life that someone won't lie about you or deceive you, or take advantage of you. And the injustice is real. The pain of that is, is, is very pugnant. It's very strong. But God is with you, just like he was with Joseph. God can be with you even in the midst of that. Psalm 73, verse 2 says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I see what the wicked do. They don't, they, they sleep with Potiphar's wife and every other wife that comes along looking for a bed to lie in. 
And he said, behold, in verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease and increasing in riches, all in vain. And I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And my bank account is still just scraping the, I'm just scraping it. It's, it's enough, but only just. Sometimes you feel like that widow, right? Just enough for one more cake. She looks in her oil, bottle of oil and in her flour meal, and there, oh, the flour and the oil have reproduced, but just enough for one more cake. God provided, but he did not give her a year's supply. He just kept her day by day. Every day, the oil replenished. Every day, the meal replenished in her jar miraculously. But God never caused the oil to run like a spring. She couldn't fill up her neighbor's jars. She could just make one more cake, one more piece of bread, just enough. But then the psalmist goes into the presence of the Lord. He says, but then when I thought to understand this, it seemed a wearisome test until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. I discerned their end. Please lift your eyes beyond this life. Lift your eyes to look past these days. And pity the rich man who takes pride and solace and comfort in his riches because that's all his eternity will afford for him. But blessed, Jesus said, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of God. They're obtaining an eternal inheritance that far outlasts the temporal one. Can we stand tonight? Jesus, we thank you that when our heart and our flesh fail, you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. You are with us, Lord, through the good times and the bad. And even when we endure temptation and come out on the other side, we still might face trouble. We might still face injustices and, and may not experience the immediate favor or the blessing of God in that moment. But, Lord, we... We, when we come into your presence, we discern the end of the wicked. We, uh, we, the wicked may seem to prosper. The, the corrupt pol politician may, may seem to win out for the time being. But, Lord, there's coming a day where they're going to stand before you, the everlasting judge of the earth. And they're going to have to give an account for what they did. Lord, help us that when we stand before you, we've already bent the knee and we've already confessed that you are Lord. We've already submitted and surrendered ourselves to you and entrusted our life into your hands. Help us not to trust in this world or the riches of this world, but trust in you, Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord Jesus, and we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. Give us strength and courage to look at our circumstances through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of your, your word. Help us to see things the way you see them and not see them through the temporal uh, uh, perspective of this life and of our flesh. Help us to trust in you and obey your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight. Greet one another. You're dismissed. In Jesus' name.